is a good thing. And we're glad to be part of that. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to be continuing our journey, and Jesus is facing another question this morning. He, uh, the thing about Mark is Mark is recording um, Jesus' ministry in a very kind of abbreviated or abridged manner because of who he's writing to. He's writing to Romans. He's writing to Greeks. They don't, they don't understand or really even care a whole lot about the Jewish past, but he's giving them enough. And, and as the cross draws nearer to Christ, Mark is, is writing to show how Jesus was the Son of God. And in just two days from this particular event, Jesus will be dead. This is Wednesday of Passion Week. Okay, He's been in the temple uh, and the temple grounds in Jerusalem all day, pretty much. And uh, he's answered a lot of questions. He's dealt with a lot of uh, challenges. But Jesus is going to use a question today from a Pharisee scribe to teach us all that God is due our love. He is due our love. He is due our love, and so are other people. So let me read this passage to you, and we'll uh, explore it a little further. Starting with verse 28 of Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to ask him any longer, to question him any longer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for such a, a clear directive on our hearts. And as we ask that question at times, as we seek the truth about our lives, may we remember that we are called to love you and called to love others. Show us this morning where we need to improve on that, how we can do that. Help the scriptures be clear to us and call us closer in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever forgive a debt of someone and, and then they come back and they want another favor? They, know, they want another favor. You didn't, they didn't pay you back for that, but they want some more. It seems like there's no gratitude, there's no appreciation there, um, at least for the first debt that you forgave. I know that we probably, a lot of us have done that, whether it's monetary or not, we've done that. But, but God did that for us, you know. He forgave a debt. Jesus paid a debt for us that we could never pay. Yet we behave sometimes like he still owes us. We behave like he still, we deserve something else. You're holding out on me, God. But really, the truth is, and Jesus is making it clear right here, we owe him. and We owe him a lot. So Jesus declares that God, the only true God, deserves the love of humanity and expects us to love others. 
And the one and only God expects love to be the supreme action of our lives, the supreme action of every human he created. This is not just on Christians. This is on everybody. This is what he expects. So what are God's expectations for love as the essential human motive? Well, we're going to look at that. God, God rightfully expects love to be expressed in two directions, vertically and horizontally. We're going to talk about the vertical first. God above deserves our love. God above deserves our love. Verses 12, 28, I mean, through 30. I'm going to read them again. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. So the scribe is walking by in the temple courts, and he hears Jesus engaged with the Sadducees before, and he's now, he hears the answer that Jesus gave him. He's like, oh, wow, that was a really good answer. That was a really good rebuttal. And, and of course, we don't need his approval necessarily, but he decides, he stops and decides, I'm going to ask Jesus a question too. Now, there's some debate out there whether this was a challenge by this scribe or whether it was a friendly engagement. Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew records it almost as a, a testing. But that word testing can mean a lot of things. I mean, he's just, maybe he's testing to see if his answer agrees with Jesus' answer. I don't know. I think it's more of a friendly engagement, but we'll talk about that as we get closer to the end of the passage. But this question... What is the greatest commandment has plagued the Jews for centuries at this point? It's, it's, it's been nagging at them for a long time. Matter of fact, this is the second time that Jesus has answered this question. In Luke chapter 10, he's asked by another teacher of the law in a different setting. Maybe, maybe it was in Jerusalem, I can't remember. But he asked, he's asked this question and Jesus answers the same way. But then the guy that's asking wants to justify himself a little bit. So he says, who's my neighbor? And then we get the story of the Good Samaritan. So it's a di little different situation. But Jesus is answering, uh, he's asking this question. And so the question I had this week was, why is that command or that question so important to them? Why is finding out what's the number one command of God so important? You know, well, in the law of Moses, in the, in, the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Old Testament, there are 613 laws. Most of them are negation laws. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. There's some positive laws. So these Jewish teachers over the centuries and the Jewish people have tried to obey all 613. Well, they failed. <laughs> And we would too. They, they couldn't do it. So then they came up with the list of, okay, here's the really heavy hitters. Here's the really big laws. Don't break the big one, you know. And so don't break any of these big ones. And they, they came up with those that they deemed most important. But they couldn't keep those either. So what's happened at this point in, in history is the Pharisees have come up with traditions and customs to try to safeguard the entire 613 laws. And by that, they created, I think it's in the, in the low thousands or something, little traditional things. And they, they figure if they do those things, they never invade the law and break it. That's at least, that's at least their logic. 
So that's why it's, it's been so important to them. But really, their attempts at justifying their behaviors for the sake of their own souls, it just becomes a treadmill that gets you nowhere. They're just going through the same motions all the time. I mean, this is why Jesus came, right? He came because we can't live flawlessly, but he did. And he lived flawlessly for us and for, so we could be forgiven by God. So this question is an age-old dilemma, and this guy wanted to hear Jesus' answer. He thought, well, he answered so good the Sadducees. Let me hear what his answer is about that. So now Jesus recites Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. It's called by the Jews the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And it's, that's the Hebrew word for listen or hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That in all your strength. So Shema is a Hebrew word, so if you repeat it to yourself, you, you're learning Hebrew. But honestly, Jesus knew this command. He didn't have to recite Deuteronomy 6. He's just reciting what he knew the command was from the beginning of, well, there was no beginning. See, he's known the command the whole time. God is the only God and deserves the love of everyone. That's the command. Now, there's various translations out there. You may have, we have listened in this particular transition. There's hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. But really, here's what Moses is trying to, to convey, what he got from God in Deuteronomy 6. Listen, Israel. Listen, the children of God. That's who Israel is. Listen, children. God is your Lord. There is no other. He is one and only God. He is the one and only God. No one else exists. So you've got to have that grasp right up front before you can do anything else. You've got to understand that there is no other God. And regardless of how many of the Hindu declare, I think it's up to 300 million at this point, they declare that there's a, anything can be a God. There is only one God. That has to be where we start. This sets the tones for the next two commands that Jesus gives him. None of the Ten Commandments matter unless you grasp that one fact. Why would you obey the Ten Commandments of someone that's not the only God? Maybe there's a God that does, has an easier way out there. No, he is the one and only God. One has to understand this truth, that God is the only God. He made all we see and all we don't see. He controls and governs everything we see and everything we don't see. He is total God. He is the only God. And because of that fact, the fact that he is the singular existent God, he can command love from every person. He has that right. Because he's God. And he does command that. See, God is owed love. God deserves love. God deserves our affections, our attention. He wants our love. We were made to love God. That's why he made us. Not because he was lonely. But he wanted us to love God himself and be loved by him. And so when you think about what is love, well, everywhere in the Bible, love is expressed in the form of obedience. And you're like, okay, there you go, Pastor, with all, the whole set of rules. But, but let me help you understand, obedience isn't just a bunch of rules to obey so God loves us. God loves us, therefore we want to obey him and please him and honor him. Love is a devotion to God, never looking for an idol or some other idea of God. He calls us to love with every part of our existence. He leaves nothing out in those four areas. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing is left out of that. 
Now, defining them is really not necessary. I mean, some people want to start splitting hairs about what heart and soul and mind and all that means. You don't really have to define them. It's not really necessary. But I, I'll give you some ideas of what I believe, and I, I'm pretty sure Scripture uh, um, supports what these mean. Heart. What does heart mean? Heart's your, your center of emotions. It's your affections. It's your desires. It's your pursuits. The things you're, you're, you're wanting to do you know, almost no matter what. And then there's the soul, which is kind of the personality, the innermost being, the spiritual aspect. You could probably substitute the word spirit in there as the same thing. The spiritual aspect of our life. Then there's the mind, the intellectual, the mental, the decisions, the ability to comprehend, which we have and animals do not. Something God gave us specifically. And then strength, pretty obvious, our ability, our effort, our bodies, uh, the application of, of actions. That's our strength. So God gave this command because it was his design that his creatures would love him perfectly. That was his design. Adam and Eve had only one rule not to break, and they broke it anyway. Because God wanted them to love him. But now we can love God perfectly because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. God actually helps us to love God. Isn't that crazy? You know, you think love's got to be like something we have to do only on our own. No, God helps us love him. God gives us the ability and the power. God above definitely deserves the love of humanity, and Jesus makes that clear right here with the absolute greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think a good illustration, at least from our perspective on this, is, is as parents, you know, we... We love our children, and we want them to love us back. And when they're little and young, they tend to express that in some cute and sweet ways. The problem is when they become teenagers, <laughs> when they get a little willful. We're not sure sometimes whether they love us. We know they don't like us a lot of times, especially if we hold them to the curfews and other things like that. It seems like we're not so sure whether they love us. But there was one guy that put this, and I thought he did a really good job. He said, God uses teenagers to teach us, to show us. What does he show us? God wants to show us what it's like to create something in our image and have it deny our very existence. He, he uses that to tell us, hey, it's the same thing you're doing to me. You're denying my existence. You disregard me. You don't love me. Teenagers do that for us. And when we don't love God, we act like he's not even there. We're so much like this. We all got a little teenager in us still. I think even to the, the dying day. We fail to love God correctly many times in our lives. There's one man besides Jesus. There's one man that did love God very well. He did a very good job of it. His name was David. He was the king of Israel. And he, he sinned. He's not, he wasn't perfect. But in all of his sinning, there was really no obvious times he was not loving God. Even when he was convicted of sins, his actions expressed love for God. He was a man after God's own heart. That's, that's the way he's described in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 13, 14 Samuel the prophet's talking to Saul, the king of Israel at the current time, and he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept 
what the Lord commanded you. Saul didn't love God. Saul loved himself. So in all of Scripture, no one except, except Jesus stayed as devoted to God and loved God so completely as David. From his childhood to his death, there's no hint of idolatry in, in David's reign as king. There's no hint of that. Now, he did put some things in front of God a couple of times, especially with Bathsheba and the whole sin, sin of that. But the sins of all the other kings of Israel and Judah that you read about in the Old Testament, they're always got some sort of little hint and tinge, most of them, of idolatry. They chose to even David's son, Solomon, eventually worshipped other gods. See, David never allowed that in his heart. And that's, that's what God is looking for in all of us. A man or woman after his own heart. So what is love? Well, let me, let me explore this a little deeper. What, what is love? What type of devotion and affinity is God asking of us? How can we love God? Well, first, here's what love is. Love is more than just a feeling, Okay. And more the, the, the songs in my head this week is like all these love songs that are out there, pop songs. It's like they're all wrong. Love is more than a feeling or a liking for something or someone. In the original languages, in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek languages that the Bible was written in originally, love is a deeper conviction type of action. Love is like unconditional, first of all, this particular use of, of the word in the Greek Agape is an unconditional love. Well, we say that a lot of times when we go, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what unconditional means. It's, it's a love that seeks no way out, no way to avoid loving the person, no way to get out of the situation. It doesn't rationalize our, our wrong behavior or justify our actions. Unconditional love is fully 100% committed. It's a deep, deep conviction. That's what love is. And that's what God's asking of us. The second thing is, What's the level of love? What's the level of love? I mean, how, how much love have we got to give God to, to satisfy him? Well, we'll never satisfy completely without the blood of Jesus Christ providing us with forgiveness. But here's what I would say as Christians and believers. Love confesses quickly when you sin. Love confesses quickly and repents thoroughly and then obeys God immediately. Love confesses our sin quickly, repents completely, thoroughly, leaves no rationalization. You're just, I'm guilty, God. And then we obey immediately. You know, we told our children, delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, we told you to do something, you didn't do it, you took too long, you procrastinated, or you just refused to do it. And God says the same to us. So how do we love God? We get right with God as soon as possible. When we realize we've strayed, when we realize we've sinned, we get right with him. We confess, we repent, and then we obey. And that may mean making restitution to somebody, maybe going to someone else and asking for their forgiveness as well, but get right with God. And then the third question here is, how do we love? How does humanity, imperfect humanity, love a holy, righteous God? Well, we obey. I know. We hate that word sometimes. But you know what? The first thing we're supposed to obey is to believe in his son Jesus Christ that's the first obe obey obedience we need to do all the other commands mean nothing if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if you don't trust him and experience the grace of God for the forgiveness of your sins Jesus tells us that whoever loves him and God will keep his commands John 14 15 who will keep his commands the commands he's given and the first one like I said is to believe in Jesus God deserves love there's no way out of that there's no way to rationalize or get around that. It's, it's 
clearly written in Scripture. It's quoted many times over. God deserves love. And love calls us to stop seeking our own ways, calling our own shots, and living for our own pleasures. That's what love calls us to do when we, when we love God the right way. When we choose to gossip, lust, lie, cheat, be selfish, act mean, take advantage of someone, refuse to apologize, we hate God. We do. When we decide to do those things, we're in a form of hatred toward God. When we're faced with temptations, we need to resist. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When confronted with needs that we see, we need to act. When faced with trials, we need to trust Jesus. That's loving God. And it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> I wish it did, but it doesn't. It doesn't come naturally. So we must rely on the Holy Spirit to help us, to show us where we can love better. And we also need to rely on our Bibles because it tells us how to love. It tells us in what ways to obey and what ways to love. Love God in everything you do. Whatever situation God puts you in, whether you're digging ditches or designing rockets, love God in that particular vocation. Love God in everything you do. You know, one of the interesting things about where we are in, in Jesus' ministry right here is he's about to show the most perfect love for God that will ever be shown. He's about to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. That's obedience. And he did it because God asked him to. That level of devotion is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the gospel tells us how to love God like that. So, God deserves our love, and by that same devotion to God in love, we're supposed to love others too. That's what we're supposed to do. The second point this morning, God alone expects love for everyone. Verses 31 through 34. Let me read that passage again to you. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one ex else except him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question Jesus any longer. So Jesus gives the second commandment, the second greatest commandment. He's not even prompted for that, but he gives it anyway. He gives it to us because out of that love for God, love's supposed to flow horizontally. It's supposed to flow to our neighbors. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Do to others like you do to yourself. It's the human relation part of love that we're supposed to also do. Love others with the same level of attention you give yourself. Wow. Yeah, the same level of attention you give yourself, your own person. It means care for others, okay? It means be compassionate. You know, when Jesus was asked in Luke chapter 10 to quantify or qualify, who is my neighbor? Jesus, tell me who is my neighbor? This is a Jew asking Jesus that. And Jesus gives the wonderful story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you don't understand the difference between Jews and Samaritans, let me tell you, racism that we know today has nothing compared to that. They hated each other. They hated each other. Samaritans were half-Jews mixed in with a whole bunch of different other peoples, and the Jews hated them. 
And the Samaritans hated them right back. So he tells this parable. This man gets beaten up on, on, a, on the road to Jericho. And two other Jews pass this Jewish man bleeding on the side of the road and don't help him. But this Samaritan, this, this race-divided Samaritan stops and helps. And the neighbor, as Jesus gets them to admit, is the one who lended help to the beaten man. The good Samaritan's neighbor was the man who was hurt and in need. The beaten man also found a neighbor in the Samaritan. He may not even like Samaritans, probably didn't. God expects us to be like this toward all of humanity, to love like that Samaritan did, to stop and take the time to help. See, Jesus' point was there's no escaping loving your neighbor as yourself. If you love God rightly, it causes you to love others. It should. I mean, love gives off love. Now, the, the story changes a little bit. The scribe agrees with Jesus. Whoa, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a news flash. A Pharisee, a Pharisee is agreeing with Jesus Christ that he's right. That's the most important command. I don't know if you'll see the irony in that. It's unusual. So is this a friendly chat that they're having? Is it a friendly chat they're having about the greatest commandment? Like I said before, I kind of think it is. But understand this too. This scribe could not tell Jesus he was wrong because it would hurt his theology. The Pharisee believed the same thing. He had to. It's clear in Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing he could argue with him about on that. He couldn't... He couldn't shipwreck his own theology for the sake of making Jesus look bad. Besides, every Jew repeats the Shema every morning and every evening, every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. They repeated that every morning when they got up and every evening before they went to bed. They taught their children to repeat that every morning. And every evening. So he couldn't very well say, well, that's not exactly right. No, that's, not the, that's, that's probably not the number one command, Jesus. No, he adds his affirmation. Now, he, Jesus didn't need his affirmation, but he added it on both counts. And he quotes the, the Hebrew verbatim, which he uses the word understanding. Well, understanding is, is more accurate with the Hebrew text, but the, the fact is, is that Jesus has taken understanding and he split it into two things, soul and mind. Now, why did Jesus do that? Because in this era, the Romans and the Greeks were very much about philosophy. So they're, they're already, in their, in their idea of thinking, all the, the Greeks and the Romans, there was two aspects of a human. There was their soul, which worshipped, and then there was their mind, which had the intellect. So Jesus is just contextualizing the command for those standing around who have heard this. And then there's a new development after he agrees with Jesus. The scribe adds a comment on the end of his affirmation and it is a re very revealing and very very unusual remark for a pharisee i hope you see it here's what he says far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices these two commands are far more important he could have said just more important he could have said just important he said far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And he gives us a clue 
as to his understanding about the Old Testament and what our understanding about the Old Testament should be. Well, why is this strange? I'm glad you asked, because here's the reason. These two actions, burnt offerings and sacrifices, make up the bulk of the worship activity of the Jewish nation at that time. Temple worship, temple service, that was made up by burnt offerings and sacrifices. To make anything more important than those two things is to say that motives and devotion from our hearts is more important than what we do outside, rituals. Now, that's unusual for a Pharisee to say something like that. Very unusual. But this scribe, as we can see, believes the entire Old Testament because by quoting that passage, by, by saying that, far more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, he is really quoting three scriptures in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15, 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Hosea 6, 6. If you want to write these down, Hosea 6, 6. And Micah 6, 8. All three of those passages speak to the idea that what's in our hearts is what matters. I mean, Micah 6, 8 says, You know, O man, what God desires, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this, this scribe is not a Sadducee. As we learned last week, Sadducees only believe the first five books are Holy Scripture. This scribe is a Pharisee. He believes the entire Old Testament. Obviously, all the way to Micah, for sure. So he's not a sad, you see. Um, he interprets these two commands as foundational and primary to the whole counsel of God's word. Love God, love others. We use that phrase and we kind of shorten to that around here. I know some churches have adopted that as their mission statement. Love God and love others. It's not a bad mission statement. But Jesus right here sees the insight that this scribe is, is revealing. And he comments about it. Jesus loves this man as his neighbor by giving him a little aid in what he understands. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. See, Jesus sees a little bit of faith right there. This man is now beginning to believe that our hearts matter more than our actions. What we believe in our hearts is where it all starts. His, his belief in God's word, his understanding, puts him near God's kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus shows love for this scribe by encouraging him to believe in this message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That's what Jesus has been preaching since he started his ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And that's what he's revealing to this scribe. God expects love from us to everyone because God's Son loved everyone enough to die for them. That's why we're, we're expected to love others. And the best illustration of, of loving others is the, the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, that's the best illustration. And you can read it over and over. And it just if you understand the context and the hatred that was between Jews and, and, and Samaritans, and then you realize that two of the religious organization of the Jewish religion, they're the first two that walk by the beaten man. I mean, that. wait a minute, how's that loving your neighbor? Because they didn't believe that that was the most important thing to do. I mean, and then the Samaritan stopped and he risked all the animosity and the, the prejudice and the racism. He risked being, you know, ridiculed for this and even maybe harmed in some way because he wanted to help this Jew who was beaten up on the side of the road. That's what love for others does. That's what love for others does. 
Love shows up even in the toughest and scariest scenarios. We don't run from it. Love offers compassion regardless of personal cost, which is exactly what Jesus did. Again, he sets a great example of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He also sets a great example of loving others as yourself. You know, in Leviticus 19, where this command, loving your neighbor as yourself, comes from, if you read the verses around it, you'll see there's a lot of things not to do. There's a lot of things that, that you don't do to harm your neighbor. And so the golden rule that comes out of it is don't do to your neighbor what you won't do to yourself kind of thing. You know, don't do to your neighbor what you don't do to yourself. And that kind of describes it there in Leviticus 19. But Jesus, he takes it further in Luke 10, 37, when he talks about the Good Samaritan. Show mercy. That's a do. Show mercy to your neighbor, your neighbor in need. Do for them what you would do for yourself. And Paul captures the real reason why this command is critical, why it's number two. In Romans 13, 9 through 10, Paul says, For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Loving others like yourself keeps God's commands, and that's loving God. See, we got to come all the way full circle. Loving others like yourself keeps God's commands, and that's loving God. God expects our love for him to flow from us to the others around us. It is his ordained will for humans to love other humans, to care for them. Now, we don't, due to sin, due to selfishness, due to our own way of doing things, our own desire to be our own God. We, and then when we don't do that, we stop loving God because he's called us to love our neighbor as ourself. When our love for God diminishes, you can bet our love for others will follow. When our love for God diminishes and re is reduced, you can bet we won't love others like ourselves. And that's a central problem. It's been a central problem for ages, centuries, in every empire, in every government, in every nation, in every people. People quit loving God, and then they quit loving each other. They quit loving the one who gave them life, and they quit honoring the Creator. And when they do that, they quit loving people too. I mean, today you can just pick up headline paper and you see the, the anger and the viciousness that's out there. People just frustrated, shooting each other over silly things. It turns to violence and the cycle continues. But we can help curb it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can, we can change that. Love those who are unlovable. Love those who are unlovable. Be kind to anyone you meet. Say kind words with patience. Look for the loners. Look for those who are isolated, isolating themselves even. Befriend them. Reach out to them. We have the best message and the best hope, the greatest hope that there ever has been. We have the best news to tell someone. And when it comes to loving our neighbor, this is the best thing we can do for them. Now, we may have to help them materially first so they will listen to us, but it, 
It should be our goal when we help someone is to get to the gospel. The greatest love anyone can give a fellow human being is to tell them this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I mean, if it's good enough for Jesus to preach in his ministry, it's probably good enough for us to use to talk to our neighbors. Our time, our efforts are important to us, I know. And we can use them in so many ways for ourselves, and we do. But God calls us to use some of these resources for our neighbors. He expects us to love. We also need to set boundaries for it. Jesus did. And love does not always include trusting someone. You can love someone without necessarily trusting them. But we need to love when it's uncomfortable or when it hurts. And I guarantee you, if you do that, God will bless it. I've seen it. He will bless us when we love the unlovable, when we love others like ourselves. You know, loving others doesn't make you weak. It makes you brave. You want to be brave? You want to be strong? Love others. It's the bravest and strongest thing we can do. Jesus reminds us here in this passage that loving God and loving others is what we owe God. It's, what due, it's what's due to God. That's why I entitled it, Give God His Due. And have you ever noticed on a cross that there's a vertical piece and a horizontal piece? You know? That, that Jesus died looking to heaven with his arms stretched open wide. God's plan for humanity included a vertical relationship with him in love and a horizontal relationship with others. And when we follow these two, the greatest commands of all, we are fulfilling God's perfect plan. We need to fight for ways to love God and others more. Um, the world would be a better place. I know what, all, all we need is love, right? What, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. All those silly songs, but what the world does need is the love of the God Almighty through Jesus Christ. We need to pray for that. So let's take our pastoral prayer time and ask God to help us love him more and love others more. We'll have a time of, of silent prayer for a, a few minutes. You can come to the front if you want and bow here at the stage, stairs and pray. We can pray right there. We'll be praying silently. And then I'll close us out. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer.